You know there were two sentimental men there <laughs> reacting the same way we were reacting. At least two. <laughs> like imagine us at opening night. <laughs> Standing ovation for, Stand. for the Technicolor. <laughs> My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. Because we're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. Feeling very chaotic on this fine Sunday, Kevin. You know what? I can relate. I'm not really feeling my most... What's the opposite of chaotic? Is, it, is there a thing that yeah. I don't know about? You know what I mean? It's like chaotic good, chaotic neutral, oh. or... Anyways, hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to this next episode of Sentimental Men. Listeners, you guys may be intrigued and a little confused as to what this episode is and so am i because this has been kevin's fashion project and i am here for vibes and to listen to riff and interrupt me <laughs> um no i'm super excited uh kevin's been working on this for quite a while now yeah this is kind of the culmination of several different ideas i feel like because when we started out we were gonna do this whole origin thing of Wicked the musical and then we kind of expanded that into well should we maybe do like an origin story of like the broader Alphaba for a little bit like that was going to be October like we were going to kind of break it up across the month and then that was not going to happen and then now we're doing this so I'm really excited because my personal relationship with the Oz cinematic universe goes long back before Wicked the Musical, and so I'm excited to kind of jump into its history a little bit. Me too. You, I would say, are like a more, well, I guess we kind of talked about it, but in your Oz knowledge, you are more well-rounded. I come from a very like singularly focused perspective, sure. and I think you have more of an appreciation and respect for like the entire Oz universe, although I have played the Cowardly Lion in The Wizard of Oz. I just want to put that out there. Quincy, do you know that the very first audition I ever went on was for a community theater production of The Wizard of Oz to audition to be, I was like six. Okay. And it was like to be a munchkin. And I had seen the movie so many times that I like didn't need the paper with the lines on stuff. I was fully this bitch. This off book. Oh my God. I also played a munchkin when I was younger. Really? And the, there's like, mu- like there's as co-writer, I must I'm ever, I must And not only me, What is... But then there's the lollipop guild. Is there a mayor? And then, yes, um... As mayor of the munchkin, munchkin city. city. Yeah, 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 in the county of the land yeah, of Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I welcome you most gladly, but we have to verify your truth. is good. I know. Should we do like a live watch with the green circle? Oh, that could be fun. The earworm that like, sorry if I'm stealing all your thunder or should save this for a different section. The earworm that I has stuck with me with me to this day from The Wizard of Oz is... um. It really was no miracle. What, what happened, happened was just this. this. Da, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That is like so, so catchy. I love it. 
it's like not even a song of of the musical but when they're approaching the emerald city um after glinda makes it snow on them okay. and it's like you're out of the woods you're out of the dark you're out of the light oh, it's so good i think about that all the time no that's a good song and like whenever i'm opening a door i always think of like open dun, dun, open like oh it's such a specific <laughs> reference that i think about all the it time it's plagued your life whenever you open a door <laughs> In this episode, our initial plan was we were going to both read the book and then do a little book club episode about it. But like that didn't really feel like enough to be a whole episode. And so then I was like, Quincy, what if I put all of the pages and pages of research that I have about the Wicked Witch of the West Mm -hmm. into this episode? And so before we talk about the book, Quincy, Mm -hmm. I would like to take us on a little journey from 1900 all the way up to 2003 wow. so that we can learn exactly where Alphaba came from. She get comfy. Settle down, class. It is time for a history <laughs> lesson. <laughs> Imagine me as Dr. Dillamond, just like a gay Dr. Dillamond. I feel like you would be a Dillamond. <laughs> like no acting at all. Like it's literally just me up there saying the lines. If we were to actually go into Wicked proper, I think you would be Dillamond and I would be a wizard. Like that would be our lot in life. Yeah, 30 years from now when we're still doing this podcast. (laughs) I think you could swing Fiero on a good day, actually. Thank you so much. I think you could, too. I don't agree. I think Wizard is, like, all I got in that show. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh, I think... Anyways. Um, So, Quincy, we kind of just touched on this a little bit, but, like, what is your pre-Wicked association with... Oz and its iterations. Yeah, it's literally that first production of Wizard of Oz. Well, I'm like, did I watch the Wizard of Oz prior to that? I must have, but my first like Wizard of Oz memory is when I was probably in the fourth or fifth grade. I went to summer school at a different school every summer. I don't know. It was like a weird thing. Um, but that summer school had this theater program and I would do the show and they did a show every summer and one summer it was the Wizard of Oz and I was the mayor of Munchkinland. Were you this tall then? I was definitely tall. Like, yeah, the joke was like, <laughs> I was so tall because even yeah, yeah, yeah. later when I was 14 or 15, I auditioned for kind of a step up production of the Wizard of Oz and I originally got cast as not the lion. I got cast as what's the uncle? Uncle Henry. Uncle Henry. Um, and then the guy who originally got cast as a lion dropped out for whatever reason. So I got a call from the director a week later being like, would you want to be the lion? And I felt a little bit like, all right, I'll be your sloppy seconds, but also. your Sutton Foster moment. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, doing the Wizard of Oz, I think is my touch point of like that whole land and world. And then Wicked came in. Okay, cool. So I only ask that. I know how much you know going into this. (laughs) L. Frank Baum's The Wizard of Oz has been adapted into every iteration of media that you can think of. There have been movies, several musicals, comic books, ballets, TV movies, TV series, concept albums. Like There have been so many adaptations of the wizard of oz and not all of them include the wicked witch of the west 
Um, but I think that for the purposes of this episode, we can focus on what I would consider the three main cultural touch points, which are the Wicked Witch of the West in the Wizard of Oz book, the Wicked Witch of the West in the Wizard of Oz movie, and Eveline in The Wiz. That makes sense. Which I think those three kind of brought us to where we are. Brought us to Wicked. Brought us to Wicked. The Wizard of Oz, the very first Wizard of Oz, was a children's book by L. Frank Baum and was the first of like over 40 books about the land of Oz. And the Wicked Witch of the West appears in the very first one and is like barely mentioned after that. Was that first book like the whole Wizard of Oz movie plotline or was that broken up over? Yeah, essentially. Okay. Yeah. In the book, in the Wizard of Oz, 1900, the Wicked Witch of the West has no name and is described as having one eye uh, and is illustrated in the book as being like this like hunched over old crone, no witch's hat, and has like little pigtails coming out. Interesting. So like... We've got a long journey to get to Adina Menzel physically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some other fun things about the Wizard of Oz book are that the Wicked Witch did not carry a broom. She carried an umbrella because she is allergic to water. After the Wizard of Oz books were becoming popular in 1910, so like 10 years later, um, L. Frank Baum financed his own silent film version of The Wizard of Oz. And in that silent film was the first time that we see the Wicked Witch of the West with a pointy hat. Um, and it is also the first time that we see her fly, which is kind of fun. Um, and all of the illustrations in reprints of the book following that followed that kind of visual guide of the pointy hat and uh, more towards what we know today. Wait, so she never flew up until that silent movie in any iteration? I can't remember if she like actually flies flies in the book. Also then, who designed the costumes in that silent movie? Because then they gave us... They gave us so much. They gave us so much. So anyway, so that brings us to The Wizard of Oz the 1939 MGM movie musical Sensation. Um, Still in this iteration, the Wicked Witch of the West has no name, um, but it is the first portrayal of her with green skin, and it is the first portrayal of her as carrying a broom. Um, Now, both of these decisions were rooted in the studio wanting to show off their technology so like they made her green because they were like bitch we have technicolor so we're gonna make oz the most colorful fucking place you've ever seen oh interesting so like the ruby slippers as we know from wicked were silver um but they were like red is gonna look so good against the yellow brick road so we're gonna make them red and then like with the witch they were like we have this great technology to make her look like she's flying so like we're gonna make her fly on the broom all the time wow okay isn't that interesting that is super interesting they were just trying to flex and then built this whole world. It's This is like really fun and like nerdy for me because one of my favorite parts of Wicked um, is like I love when she stands up and defying gravity and like the entire picture has been built. Yeah. Um, and for me, like that's kind of what this journey is, is it's like little pieces of the Wicked Witch of the West kind of built up to 
what we have spent that moment. 25 episodes discussing. Yep. Some other fun things about the Wizard of Oz film um, is that the original makeup concept for the Wicked Witch of the West was that she was going to look like the evil queen in Snow White. Um, because that movie had just come out and was really popular. So, But green or not green? No, not green. Oh, okay. White with like glamorous makeup. And so like, again, that could have derailed the whole thing. Sure. Yeah. I wonder if other it colors were tossed around for her skin color. Yeah. What if like, what if she was pink, you know? <laughs> or blue. Or purple. <laughs> the baby is unnaturally purple. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, so um, Margaret Hamilton, the OG mm-hmm. green girl, um, she is only in 12 minutes of The Wizard of Oz. Is that true? Doesn't that seem small? I feel like my brain has rewritten history to make it seem like she was a much bigger part. Same. But she was in 12 minutes of that movie. I feel like she has scenes. She does. So she like comes in, who killed my sister? Was it you? Uh-huh. So that's like two minutes. Okay. Then she's creeping around the tree mm. when they meet the Tin Man. That's 30 seconds. Doesn't she like mess with each of the friends as she meets them? Or am I making that up? Uh, she doesn't do anything with the Scarecrow. She does the Tin Man uh-huh. when the trees throw the apples. Yeah. Then she... Poppies, poppies will put them to sleep. Does the Scarecrow get set on fire at some point? In the castle, right gotcha. before she gets melted. Okay. Yeah, and then she flies, surrender Dorothy. We should watch The Wizard of Oz again. And then they go to the castle and she dies. That's like it. Wow, okay. Did awards exist? In, am I making myself sound stupid? Did like movie awards exist then? They did, but she was not. Gotcha. Was Wizard of Oz like a hit immediately or is, has it become a classic? Um, it was a success, but it was not, um, if my memory serves me correctly, it was not like immediately what it now is. Like it was not until TV was a common thing and like it would get re-aired every Christmas or, or, you know what I mean? Like it, it has become a much bigger sensation than it was, but it was always successful. Okay. And the fun thing I think is that, uh, the Wicked Witch of the West's costume in the Wizard of Oz movie is the one short day defying gravity dress that Elphaba wears with like those kind of cap sleeves mm. that then get tighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that is what Margaret Hamilton wore as the Wicked Witch of the West. Gotcha. I like that. And then one other thing that I think is really interesting and important to note on this journey is that um, years and years and years after the Wizard of Oz came out, Margaret Hamilton went on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood um, and she was saying to the kids in like the story circle or whatever that she didn't want them to only think of the Wicked Witch as a bad person because it's important to try to understand like why people are the way they are. And I was like, wow, okay, Flex, like you invented Wicked. Like you went on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and you were like, are people born Wicked? (laughs) I wonder if we can find a clip of that. That's super interesting. I bet we can. And I think she went on Sesame Street dressed as the Wicked Witch, too. But she was like 90 when that happened. Like, she was... Oh, my God. Was she green? Yeah. Wow. Wait, wasn't there, like, some big injury with her in the Wicked... Yes. The Wizard of Oz? Yes. Margaret Hamilton famously... In a uh, morbid and disturbing parallel to Adina Menzel, got injured being lowered through a trapdoor 
in Margaret Hamilton's uh, case, it's like when she exits the f- the first scene that she's in, she like sinks into the ground and the smoke comes, that like big puff of red smoke comes uh-huh. up. But the timing of the um, uh, the mechanics was off. And so the flames that created the puff of smoke, like initiated prior to her clearing them on the trapdoor and so she got like second degree burns like on half of her body um and it was like made worse i believe by like the makeup that they had her in like made the burns worse um and interestingly this one this story i'm not as familiar with so i would have to look up the details but there's something about that she had an accident filming one of the flying scenes on the wires and then had to use a double for like the remainder of the flying scenes she was there when adina and stephanie visioned almost like a prophecy both the stephanie and the adina injuries she said if you two are going to play this role then you will experience the pain i suffered exactly the wizard of oz movie is littered with like terrible injury stories yeah. and like emergency room visits well it does feel like a big technical ordeal to take on in that day and age oh a hundred percent like it was a state-of-the-art movie mm-hmm like, I remember reading once that at the premiere, the shot where, like, Dorothy walks out of the black and white farmhouse into oh, yeah, the colored yeah. Oz, like, people went nuts for that. Really? Because it was, like, that crazy, crazy sure. advanced at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Um, And then The Wiz in 1975, the Broadway musical, and then 1978, the movie musical. Mm-hmm. Um. The main uh, significance that I would like to bring up here is this is the first time in all of the iterations of The Wizard of Oz, at least that I can find, where the Wicked Witch of the West sings. Question. The Wizard of Oz has like never been a Broadway musical, correct? It has. Oh, really? L. Frank Baum financed a Broadway musical of The Wizard of Oz like a year or two after the book came out. Oh, and then, like, there was the production, like, right around the 50th. Yeah, there's, like, weird, like, touring productions, right? Yeah, which I saw. Oh, really? When it played. So that, like, opened at Madison Square Garden. And then, like, that production also went out on tour. Also, fun fact is that, that production was using the script and score of a concert version of the wizard of oz that the royal shakespeare company put together to celebrate the film's 50 year anniversary and i only point this out because i would like to say that when lincoln center put up that same concert the wizard of oz was played by joel gray wow i didn't know that all these little nuggets kevin i didn't know that until like a week ago (laughs) (laughs) These are things I've known my whole life. Um, (laughs) um, But so I just think it's important to note, A, the importance of the Wiz as part of the larger Oz culture, Mm -hmm. because it really is such a great musical and so important in like the larger story of musical theater um, and certainly in the larger story of The Wizard of Oz. But what I think is just interesting, it's just like a fun connection to point out, is that in The Wiz, the Wicked Witch of the West, Eveline, is, is she's still very much like the villain. Um, like there's not, they don't really paint, or 
in its original iteration, they don't really paint uh, any redeeming qualities for her. Um, but her number, No Bad News, is like the act two oh. opener. And it is like a big, showy, powerhouse number. Yeah. Um, which I just think is, it is theater, baby. Yeah. Um, and so I just think it's fun to point out that like, that is the first time that the Wicked Witch of the West, like, had a show-stopping moment on Broadway. And that tradition has not stopped since. <laughs> if you look at, like, the Andrew Lloyd Webber production, and there's, like, a couple other musical adaptations that have popped up, and the Wicked Witch of the West sings in all of them. Yep. And so we really do have the whiz to thank for that. And so I think with those three iterations in mind, I believe the next cultural touchpoint to talk about would be Wicked, the novel by Gregory Maguire. Mm. So before we talk about like what Alphaba is like in that novel, I want to just talk about like the book. One thing that I, because prior to like reading the book, the one thing you hear about the book from everyone who's read it and seen the musical is it's so different from the musical. It's nothing like mm-hmm. it. It's like they took so much artistic liberty, blah, 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 which is true. But it Very was true. like interesting to see kind of the through lines that like made it from book to musical in like the most minute niche ways, even where like, yeah, I think the character of Alphaba is like almost more funny and sarcastic in the book than she is in the musical. I think so, yeah. And, like, I think, I guess I never really thought, like, oh, maybe that's a trait they took from the book. I thought that was just something that kind of grew from creating the musical. But, like, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Alphaba's interpretation. It Reading the book also kind of made me hate Glinda so much. You disagree? Well, not that I disagree. I feel like a layer of Glinda that you get in the novel that you don't get in the musical is that she herself is intimidated by people who are in a higher position than her. Like, Mm -hmm. socially, she's only from maybe, like, a B-list area. And so she, like, wants so desperately to be the top dog that it just felt um, a little humanizing. Well, maybe maybe not, maybe hate is the wrong word, but that is kind of the reason why I was, like, getting more annoyed with her because you, you, like, are in her head in that regard and you're like, bitch, Uh like, who cares, actually? Like, can we just, like, stop this? Or as opposed to the musical, it's kind of like she's kind of ditzy and like this is just what she's known and this is her life and la-di-da-di-da. So it's harder to blame her, I think, for some of her behavior. I loved, though, I almost want to see a full-scale musical about just this, the Glinda Bach storyline. I was like, it's so much more interesting. Well, also, I think like Bach in general in the book, he is so much more fleshed out than yeah. like the twink he has become <laughs> on Broadway. <laughs> the twink he has become. No, but like truly, even the fact like he would like call Glinda out on her bullshit and clock her and stuff. And I was like, wait, where did this go in the musical? And I wish they kept at least elements of that in the musical because I think it would Mm -hmm. make for a more fleshed out character. In the book, there's a certain point where he like moves on from Glinda and she's the one who kind of keeps like insisting that he's obsessed with her, Mm -hmm. which I just think is like an interesting dynamic that like she's the one who actually like wants that energy. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's lots of other, like, weird differences. Like, like Averick is a whole different character, not just, like, the coachman yeah. of Fiero. <laughs> and, like, the characters of Averick and Fiero are kind of combined into what is now Fiero. Mm-hmm. 
I also love the whole beginning chunk of the book. I feel like we really got a lot of info about Elphaba's parents and like their mm-hmm. whole backstory and their relationship and what that was like. And I was like, you know what? This is actually kind of interesting. They're not just the people doing a little dance in the beginning and then disappearing. The whole idea that Elphaba's mother kind of married down mm-hmm. to be with her father. And the interesting in the book, Bach's father is the mayor. Mm-hmm. Elphaba's father is like kind of this like radical preacher. Okay, so the way that Madame Morrible was described to be like so fishy, I, I will say that the only character reading the book that I think I could envision the musical character and it kind of lined up perfectly was Madame Morrible. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I guess Glinda, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, but like you couldn't do that with Alphaba because like Alphaba was so described so drastically different. It, it was also hard to like... We'll get back to Madame Morrible, but it was really hard to read about Alphaba's descriptions because I was like, this isn't the like Adina Menzel that I grew up with. She's like, actually yeah. would probably be really freaking scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. In my head, like reading the book, she looked more like the girl from the ring. You know what I mean? Like, cause they're always like, she's in these like baggy sacks and her hair is yeah. always in her face. And I'm like, I'm literally just picturing <laughs> But we were just talking about Lindsay Pierce's self-aware, depressed Gen Z humor mm-hmm. take on Alphaba. And I do feel like book Alphaba was very that. Very that. She's very um, cutting with her humor. Mm-hmm. Like it's... Abrasive. Abra- yeah, and like potentially uh, arguably insulting. You know what I mean? Definitely. Like it's the, her humor is the kind of thing where it's like, is she joking or is she being... You have to like know her to to be like, (laughs) oh yeah, she's joking. (laughs) She's joking, I guess. But yeah, Madame Marble was definitely the easiest to picture like Carol Shelley. (laughs) Yeah. Even like the lines and stuff. And I feel like that character translated pretty straightforward from the book. And something else that's interesting about Madame Marble in the book um, is that it is heavily implied that she herself is a capital A animal. She's like described always with very like fish related adjectives. And then like later in the book, there's like a moment where (laughs) to completely leave the universe of the show later in the book, there's a moment where Alphaba's son is stuck in a well and and he meets a fish. Like it is like implied that that it's Mount of Marvel. And so it's like, I think that's a really fun layer, Mm -hmm. even though it's not in the musical at all. Like if you as an actress had like read the book and decided to bring that into Wicked the Musical. Speaking of Elphaba. Yeah. That's like the log line for our whole podcast. Speaking of Elphaba. (laughs) That scene where they're like, oh, Elphaba, sing us a song. Elphaba's a really great singer. Yes. And Bach has that whole moment of, oh, she's a fine singer. Actually, no, wait, she's good. I was like, is that why Steven Schwartz made her belt? (laughs) It's just interesting that like Gregory Maguire made a point to tell us that Elphaba was a good singer. This bitch can sing. And Steven said, got it. Yeah. Um, novel Alphabo's magical ability is not really present until act two. It's like with like the incident with her son. Yeah. She gets, Mm -hmm. she goes to shiz because she's smart. Yeah. And then it's not until later when Glinda and Nessaros have both become witches that she kind of stumbles upon her like innate. Mm-hmm. magical ability which is like a huge difference from the musical where it's like off the jump 
her motivation is understanding and that she's the power. only and she's also like the only one in the musical that's like has powers in any real sort of way that we see right. you know and right. i also i kind of would well, and marble but i guess change the weather go for it yeah i would say that's tangible that's <laughs> <laughs> tangible proof. i would say it's tangible but the only reason i discount it is because the way it's done in the stage production is so underwhelming in my opinion <laughs> Is that the first negative thing I've said about Wicked on this podcast? Yeah, I will say that's my least favorite effect too. That missed opportunity to refresh. I'm like, this is Wicked the musical. Everything else about this is such a spectacle. And that is going to be a ding, ding, ding. Light change. And like, it feels like a thing where they were in tech and it was just like, we got to put something here. Fiero, grab the lantern and back up. Can we get a gobo that's shaped like a house? Great. It's done. It's staged. We're moving on. Oh my god. Oh, you're talking about that? Yeah. I'm talking about how about a change in the weather? Bling. Oh, I was talking about the tornado. Both. But both. Redo yeah, bling, Marvel's bling, bling. magic powers. What were we talking about before that? Oh, but I would have loved like I'd be interested to see how it translated in the musical if you kept Nessa and Glinda as more of like actively having powers people as opposed to like it's talked about because glinda to me is a muggle in like my experience of watching wicked and i know she gets that whole training one situation but you never see anything you know yeah what's unclear to me like kind of in both the novel and the musical is it's like is being a witch a career that you learn or is it an innate ability that you're born with Uh, and then it's like what is the difference between like a like being a witch maybe with those inherent powers and then being a sorcerer who learned those skills at uni um but it is uni i guess in the musical we never see glinda have any actual power in the in the book she does she does have well i don't know that she has innate power but she certainly has learned power in the book because in the book she's the one who enchants nessa rose's shoes Mm -hmm. so that she can walk on her own Mm -hmm. so she definitely has power of some sort so it's an interesting like dramaturgical choice i guess to make it that alphaba is the only person in that universe with these like tangible powers these powers from both worlds yeah one other thing that i I really appreciated about the book um, is that there was a clearer sense of like timeline. Also, they give like they reference in the beginning like Fierro being eighteen, and I was like, yes, these are children that I'm thinking yes, about again. These, yeah, and like right when the story starts, like Alphabet is seventeen. Mm-hmm. Like it is like we learn that, but then it's like there are several instances where they like clearly tell us about a time jump, um, or they tell us how much time has passed since something, and it's a long long plot like i like i think all in all it covers like like 30 years or something like that Mm -hmm. like it's long um which then like my one of my uh sticky points with the musical is like i've i mean i've said on the podcast like i never know if act two is like a week later or if it's a year later (laughs) or if it's um and so then i was thinking is it's like can you imagine friend of the pod stephanie j block told us that uh the very first workshop of Wicked was like really, really, really long. Yeah. Like act one was three hours. How do we see that? I wonder if like the first idea for Wicked was for it to be like a Les Mis scale <gasps> musical that would let like covered everything in the book. Like imagine <gasps> like 
imagine a four-hour musical where you actually have like a young Elphaba and Glinda and then in act two the women come out wow and we do like like, wouldn't that be fun? I, that's what I want to see now. That's the next adaptation. Wow. I bet you at some point someone will write a wicked opera. Interesting. That would be fun. Imagine, like, an opera alto singing music than I. I've seen it on TikTok. There's, like, a movement on TikTok right now. Um, I don't know the technical term for the vocal type, but women with low voices are singing wicked songs being like let Mm -hmm. us change the keys because look how beautiful it sounds in this key and it does but yeah and so that was my big takeaway from reading the book is like it feels like it could be a good hbo limited series a hundred percent well quincy did you know that when steven schwartz went to universal and said I wanted to turn this into a musical. They were like several drafts into like a film version of Wicked. Yeah, like a straight film. Yeah, which I need to know who that Elphaba was going to (laughs) be. Like, were we going to get Julia Roberts as Elphaba? Was she going to be the prototype? (laughs) And were they like, let's scrap the movie, do the musical? Or were they like, work on it and let's see what takes first, do you think? I don't know. I think... I I know I've seen Stephen Schwartz like yeah. in one of those videos where he's like at a piano yeah, telling yeah, the story, yeah. Singing, like making I, good that whole thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love those videos. <laughs> Me too. Oh, I love them. I love them. Um, but yeah, so that was my big takeaway was just that like the not the novel is such a great story and such like a. <laughs> Again, like, how did someone watch The Wizard of Oz and, like, turn it into that? But it's, like, that story would have made a very different musical. And so it's, like, would we have the legacy of Wicked if they hadn't musical theaterized it? You know what I mean? Well, in the same way where you're, like, how did someone watch The Wizard of Oz and write Wicked? How did someone read Wicked and turn it into the musical that we have today? You know, like, it's just, like... Right. It's very, it's like an interesting case study on adapting things to different mediums because it really is just like so different. And like, I wonder how much of it was like intentional or okay, well, we want this to be a family musical. So mm. Dr. Dillman's just going to have to get arrested instead of murdered. Yeah. Did Gregory Maguire have any involvement in the Wicked production musical? I don't think so. I don't know that he wasn't involved at all, but I don't think he was super involved. He wasn't Stephanie Meyer in the Twilight movies being like... No. (laughs) Um, Kevin, this has been super, super interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on your (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on Kevin's Alphabet Corner. I appreciate you doing all this research because I learned a lot and it was super, super interesting. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Quincy, I, to wrap us up, I do have a little choices, options, and bootlegs prepared. Wait, and I have a stuck on SJB because I was like, what can he do for choices, options, and bootlegs if this is a history lesson? Let me prepare a stuck on SJB. I love when we don't even talk about it and it works out. I love it. <laughs> All right, so let's just do we're really, rapid fire we're segments. <laughs> rapid fire segments. So my choices, options, and bootleg is um, a performance of No Bad News from the City Center concert production of The Wiz. Eveline is played by Tashina Arnold, which you may know as, well, 
I know as one of the three urchins in the Little Shop of Horrors movie. Oh, okay. And like has a huge career outside of that, but like that's the touch point for me. Previously, the like original Broadway company of The Wiz, the movie of The Wiz, and the revival of The Wiz and its subsequent tour all portray Evelina as this kind of like grotesque, evil, ugly queen who thinks that she's really beautiful. Oh, I don't think I realized that. But the city center concert staged this number kind of like my strongest suit from Aida where it's like Evely and like they're like putting her in a corset and they're like putting a wig on her and getting her dressed. So it's really fun. And I think it's interesting like the shift from grotesque and hideous back into like villains can be sexy. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to attribute that to Wicked specifically, but I do think it probably helped. Sure. And then in The Wiz Live. It's Mary J. Blige in full drag. But yeah, so Tashina is eating nails on this uh, performance. Like, it is a showstopper. She does, like, a Jennifer Holiday-style vamp at the end where she is just, like, milking the crowd with, like where she'll hit like these really like soulful great riffs but then she'll do kind of like a funny one where she's like jennifer holiday like it's it's so good it go watch it it's great my (laughs) stuck on sjb is also from new york city center this episode sponsored by new york city center (laughs) city center's gala presentation of brigadoon Stephanie J. Block, it was originally supposed to be Heidi Blickenstaff, but then scheduling something. So then Stephanie J. Block took over as Meg, and she has this song. I think it's called The Real Love of My Life. I would assume it's called The Real Love of My Life or The Love of My Mm -hmm. Life. And it is like, I didn't know Brigadoon until I saw this show, but this song is super, super catchy. It's fast. And Stephanie J. Block, so basically the character of Meg is like this floozy like rough and tumble girl like she's the 80 annie the 80 annie to kelly o'hara's um lori lori i promise we know other shows outside of there's always a virgin there's always a slut (laughs) yeah it's very that (laughs) which one is just fun to see stephanie j block in that type of a role because i feel like typically she would get slotted into the other role Mm -hmm. and i also think like it was probably fun for her to play this i would assume one thing i want to know it's a comedic song and I would be curious to hear your take on this because I have this idea where like we don't give Stephanie J. Block enough credit for how funny she is. I agree. But then do you kind of feel like falsettos changed that? Because now I feel like people talk about her comedy all the time and that's all they talk about. Yes, I think that that is exactly right. Okay, so this was a year after. But she is running around the stage during this song. She's explaining all of like the lovers that she's had in the past and like taking us through like her romps in the hay with each of them and is acting Mm -hmm. them out. And the song is quick and she's like jumping up on the bed. She's like spreading her legs wide open. She's wiping. It's like actually insane. And then it ends, like does not stop to breathe during this entire number. So she's running all over the stage, acting it out. And then she ends the song on like a big belty note, nails the note and then Mm. immediate blackout. She's such a fucking star. Oh my God. (laughs) It is so, so so good. good. I wish that production transferred because that was a great production all around. I love Stephanie J in a number that is like a showcase number. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like where she gets to like flex. And a number where she's like having fun. Yeah, like like I'm breaking down even is like- Fun. Yeah. Like I'm so used to seeing Stephanie J. Block be so serious and seeing her mm-hmm. have fun, especially in, a, in an encore situation where like the stakes are relatively There's low. No stakes, yeah, yeah. And you can just like chill out. Like it was clear she was having fun doing it too. And it was just like, 
Really great performance from Miss Block. So, children, you have two homework assignments. Look at that. <laughs> Both at City Center. <laughs> go see their Into the Woods. I really want to see that. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, go check it out, guys. And donate to New York City Center. It's a nonprofit. <laughs> or... Spend those $5 subscribing to Sentimental Man. Don't take away from New York City Center. <laughs> Don't take away from us, bitch. <laughs> uh, what an episode. I hope you guys enjoy this. This was like a fun little shake-up to our typical form. I know. So consider this your intermission. This is episode three of five this month, mm. and we will be back next week with episode number four. The hits keep on coming. Of this month. The hits keep coming and they don't stop coming. Bye, Quincy. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced and edited by your hosts, Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. You can support the pod by leaving us a rating or a review, or by subscribing. Subscribers get early access to our regular episodes, monthly bonus episodes, and get added to the Scent Men Green Circle. Which is literally our close friends on Instagram. (laughs) Thanks to Julia DiMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. Was Alfred Baum a gay man? Do we know? I don't know. Do you think he was a sentimental man? It feels like he may have been the original sentimental man. <laughs>